WBNE. Hello and welcome to episode 152, all about the Silmarillion, chapters 12 and 13, being the 152nd part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. I've been experiencing the world of J.R.R. Tolkien for the first time, and right now I am reading The Silmarillion, so you don't have to. Today I am joined by James Tauber, one of the people behind the Digital Tolkien Project. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming on. You were telling me in our DMs that you were just teaching the Silmarillion in a format that I'm kind of approaching on this podcast. So I think that makes it a perfect fit for you to come on. Yeah, I'm very excited to be here. Um, before we dive into the, uh, I'll say the chapters, because we're covering two chapters on this episode, um, why don't you tell me a little bit about your history with Tolkien and Lord of the Rings? How were you introduced to it? Was it with The Hobbit? Was it with The Lord of the Rings? Was it one of the weirdo animated <laughs> movies in the 70s? What was that like? So I started off with The Hobbit. I read The Hobbit when I was about 11 years old. It was my favorite book. And uh, my aunt, for my 12th birthday, knowing I was a huge fan of The Hobbit, bought me a copy of Return of the King. And uh, she mustn't have realized that it was the third part of The Lord yeah. of the Rings. <laughs> and so I, I was sort of stuck as a 12-year-old, knowing I couldn't really dive into Return of the King itself without reading the first two. Uh, but instead, I dived into the appendices. And fell oh, in interesting. fell in love with the timelines and the family trees and and most of all the languages. And uh, jumping forward, I think that was a, a big seed planting for me to uh, end up becoming a linguist. Um, so my academic background is is actually in linguistics, and I think the seeds were planted by by appendix E and F in in Lord of the Rings. Um, I subsequently tried then to read the Silmarillion, um, even before I'd read Lord of the Rings. I tried to read the Silmarillion. I'd heard that it was a very difficult book, and mm -hmm. as a as a twelve year old, you know, nothing would get me more excited about trying a book that even adults found difficult. Uh, and of course, I I I couldn't get through it. <laughs> it was very <laughs> difficult for, for twelve year old me. Um, I, I loved the Ona Lindeley and and you know fell in love with the whole creation myth around music and everything. But I just I I couldn't get through the rest. Uh, I end up you know so it's always been close to my heart this question of how do we make it more approachable how do we get more people into the summer right. because once you do get into it it's so wonderful but i understand <laughs> that the challenges that it poses for many people yeah and then um how did all of that bring you to what you are working on now with the and why don't you explain too for people who don't know um what the digital tolkien project is absolutely so uh my as I said, my, my academic background is as a linguist, and a lot of the work that I was interested in doing was studying ancient languages, particularly uh, New Testament Greek, um, but then that broadened to, to ancient Greek more generally and other historical languages. And I made a lot of use of, of computers in the study of those texts, uh, using computers to sort of better understand the way the language was working, to better annotate the texts to understand what was going on. And they ended up making a bit of a career of that, uh, building software, working with other scholars to better understand languages and texts. And then in 2018, I had this realization that the works of Tolkien are often 
associate or compared with many of the great texts that uh, I was using a computer to study. So people will often say, oh, you know, the Silmarillion is like the Old Testament or they'll, they'll right. <laughs> you know, make connections to, to Homer and, you know, the Iliad and all that sort of stuff, right? And I thought, well, hang on a sec. If we're using this technology to help us understand these great texts from the past, why not do it for the texts of Tolkien as well? And so that was really the start of the Digital Tolkien Project, applying the latest uh, use of computers in, in scholarship to the texts of, of, of Tolkien and, and treating things like the Silmarillion and, and Lord of the Rings the way we would treat Homer's Iliad or, or Herodotus's histories or, or anything like that. So Very cool. Yeah. So yes, I said earlier we are doing two chapters in this episode because chapter 12 of Men is very short. And honestly, as I was reading it, I was like, this isn't really about men. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> right. It takes just... a while to get to the, to the men. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's mostly about how much better elves are (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) so um i messaged my good old silmarillion reference buddy on tiktok don marshall and was like hey is there enough in this chapter that warrants doing a whole episode on it or should i combine it he was like nah combine it with the next chapter and i was like great i will do just that so um Yes, chapter 12 of Men. We are finally hearing about the coming of the the second borns of Iluvatar. Um, even though they are not technically the second borns, because of course Aule made the dwarves uh, after the elves are already existing. And so, or no, that was before. Anyway, but like the dwarves were there. So like, it's all a little bit messy. Um, anyway. But it says, um, a reminder for everyone in the previous chapter. Was it the previous chapter? Let me make sure. In the previous, previous chapter, I think. No, wait, hang on. I'm getting everything confused. Yes, I was correct. Um, In the previous chapter, chapter, the Valar have fortified Valinor Valinor for themselves. So they are now nice and safe, um, sitting on their own and I guess just letting things happen in Middle Earth, sometimes inter- interfering and sometimes mostly just letting it go. Um, so it opens with the Valar sat now behind their mountains at peace and having given light to Middle Earth, they left it for long untended, which just kind of makes me laugh. <laughs> like they just <laughs> let it go, let it grow wild. And the lordship of Morgoth was uncontested, save by the valor of the Noldor. So yeah, the Noldor are kind of the only ones doing anything over there to with more one of one of the rare cases where the Noldor are actually praised. Yeah, right. I know. I know. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, it just it just makes me laugh that the Velar are like, well, I mean, Melkor, he's over there, so he's not our problem anymore. Right. And they just are like, okay, good luck, bye, have fun with that. <laughs> um, and um, it does mention that Olmo keeps an eye on it says the exiles it keeps an eye on the Noldor and everything over there because uh as a re- uh, reminder for us all Olmo can kind of hear he's like you know the FBI agent in your computer he can hear and see everything because of the waters running through the earth it says at the first rising of the sun the younger children of Iluvatar awoke. So the previous chapter we learned about the sun and the moon becoming a thing um and so Tolkien established that first that 
how did the sun and moon become to be? And then at the same time that that was happening, the men are awakening. Um, And it mentions, of course, that they have several names because we can never (laughs) just have one name for anything. So they are called the Atani by the Eldar, the second people, also called Hildor the Followers. Um, and then I'm not going to go through all of the other names it lists off. It's a lot of them. But some uh, some I would like to point out are the Sickly, <laughs> um, the Strangers, the Usurpers, and the Self-Cursed. And the, oh, and the Night Fearers. <laughs> so none of them are... Super complimentary. No, they're not. <laughs> None of them are great. Yeah. I think this is a very uh, pro Elvish um, yeah. <laughs> account. Yeah. And again, you can, like, there are a lot of moments so far where you can tell this is an account. This is a history of Arda and Middle Earth as written by the elves. And you can tell that by, like, something that I just think is so funny is that they refer to, they know, they point out that the dwarves call themselves Khazad, but they keep referring to them as, I think it's Maglum or Ma- Na- Na- Naugrim. Naugrim, that's yep. it. <laughs> um, I don't know where that's such a different word. Um, yeah, they refer to them as Naugrim, which means the stunted people. Despite the fact that they know that the dwarves have like their own name for themselves. So yeah, this is definitely one of those points where you can tell, okay, this is an account from the perspective of the elves. And I'll, I'll just say Tolkien does that a lot where he points out the different names that different groups give people. And then that's very telling which which name continues to be used for them. Yeah. So look out for that's always something worth looking out for is what which which of the names uh, different people use. Yes. It mentions that none of the Valar come to guide the men um, as they did with the elves. Um, so the, the men are just kind of like stumbling around like, what, what, where are we? Who are we? What is this? Um, and of course, like we mentioned earlier, that Olmo is kind of keeping an eye on things. So Olmo will come and uh, like check in on them. Um, and it mentions that they do love the waters because of this. But I love this. <laughs> it says that like because they don't have any interactions with the Valar, they don't really understand them. They don't have this connection with them. They haven't seen the... There is no light of Valinor now, basically, because <laughs> um, it's dead. Um, it says that Olmo is kind of trying to communicate with them through the waters. And they love the water. But they understood not the messages. So they don't understand what they're being told, but they're like, I like the vibes here. I I enjoy what's going on. And then we get into like a very long section of this chapter where all it does is talk about like, yeah, elves live a lot longer. They're fair. They're wiser. They're a lot stronger. I was was just going to say before, before we get into the elves, there's one other nice part about the, 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 the paragraph you just read. Not only do they not get the messages uh, <laughs> from the waters? Um, but it, it, it says at the end of that chapter, um, they knew of the Valar only as a rumor and a distant mm-hmm. name. So I think that's really important to, to remember reading forward that unlike the elves who had, you know, run an, on a first name basis, if you like, right. with the Valar, 
men just heard rumors. So they had doubts, right? They didn't know, were these gods really there? Um, you know, what, what was going on? Um, and I think that's, that's important to recognize that they didn't have that same sense of uh, connection with the divine. Right. Even though it was there, they, they, were, not, they were not aware of it, um, which makes them uh, interesting targets, uh, I think. Yeah. And I think that's definitely one of the reasons that we go into this long paragraph about how the elves are yeah. better than the men is that they're like, well, we knew the gods <laughs> and you did it. Right. And so that's definitely one of the reasons why the elves are, you know, wiser and fairer and stuff is because they had all these interactions and connections with the Valar and the men have never even met them. And the one that they're interacting with, Olmo, they don't even know that they're interacting with exactly. a Valar. They're just like, the waters are like speaking to me, man. I don't know what they're saying, but uh, <laughs> they're saying something cool. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so yeah, I feel like honestly, I just learned a whole lot more about the elves in this chapter of men than I did about the men. Um, it mentions, you know, that they're the the Silmarillion is largely going to be about the elves because it is about the time before I don't think I wrote down the exact quote but it was something about like the waning of the elves and the waxing of the yeah. men so yeah. the rise of men is going to happen um and has already happened when we're reading the hobbit and um lord of the rings right um but the, this this time in this age this, uh, that we are experiencing in the Silmarillion is the height of elves. They are really doing well. So there's not going to be much about men, I guess. Um, say, it says, save only Baron, son of Berhar, whose hand had touched a Silmaril, which obviously I have heard Baron and Luthien, and I know, you know, kind of the basic details of that story, but I don't think I knew that Baron touched a Silmaril and that's a very big deal for the elves so mm. um I guess we'll hear more about that in a chapter to come <laughs> well do you do you remember uh, there's a nickname that's given to to Baron in Lord of the Rings at one point to do with his hand um no I don't think I remember okay he's described at one point as uh Baron one hand uh I won't say anything more but um <gasps> there's some parallels with 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 Frodo nine fingers Nine fingered Frodo and bear in one hand. Um, I'll leave it at that. Oh, uh, okay, interesting. Um, also, it's just a funny nickname like Old Bear in One Hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, like for I, I briefly mentioned those crazy animated films from the 70s, yep. but they're one of the songs is Frodo of the Nine Fingers and the Ring of Doom. It, the, the lyrics are like, why does he have nine fingers? Where is the ring of doom? Just like very basic and rudimentary. And it just makes me laugh all the time. It's like, Frodo of the nine fingers. Why does he have nine fingers? It's like, well, let's find out. Well, now you can find out. Yeah. Why does Baron have one hand? Well, yeah. going to find out. Uh, old Baron one hand. Um, <laughs> so funny. Um. So anyway, despite all these large differences between the men and the elves, um, the elves, of course, being immortal um, and the men being mortal, it does mention that 
um, the elves and men are allies and hold themselves akin. And there were some among men that learned the wisdom of the Eldar and became great and valiant among the captains of the Noldor. And this is a very good thing, of course, because um, this alliance is important as Morgoth is still a thing and these darknesses over in Middle-earth are still a thing. Um, and also these alliances between um, where some of the men are held in the high regard among the Noldor lead to eventually Elrond, who is, I mean, it leads to Arend- also it mentions Arendil and Elwing, but for our sake of we know who like we know who Elrond is, and it's like okay, this is where Elrond came from. Yeah, Great. I mean, this is probably the most important sentence in this yeah. chapter that they yeah. the full share had their offspring of elfin mortal Arendil and Elwing and Elrond their child. This is the first time in the Silmarillion that those three are mentioned. This is the first time Arendil's mentioned. It's the first time that Elrond is mentioned, and you know that's going to become so important. Yeah, one more. I, I that that's kind of like the end of this chapter. There's nothing really more important to note. But one thing that I just find so funny is that the Valar are, you know, obviously there to bring to fruition the vision of Iluvatar, and they were there with the music of Einor and and all of that, and. The the children of Iluvatar, the elves, and then the secondborn, the men, the men are very much a part of that original vision that Iluvatar was very, you know, excited about. Yep. Um, and you would think like, oh, okay, if finally like this part of the vision of Iluvatar is happening, you would think the Valar would be like, let's, you know, jump in and do stuff. And they're just so just like hands off like we're over here we've already had a lot of bad stuff happen we're gonna cut our losses and just play it safe now have fun over there so the fact that they are just they just apparently seem to so not care about this other part of the vision of Iluvatar yeah exactly although so one interesting thing about that is it does mean that when they do occasionally intervene which I mentioned because it happens once in the next chapter um that must mean something pretty significant. Mm. The fact that yes. they're so hands off <laughs> for the most part. Yeah. That when they do sh- when they do show up, and it always seems to involve eagles. Um, yeah. when they do show up, it's a big deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, although I should point out though, when they intervene in the next chapter, it's for elves. It's not for Oh yes, of course. Yes, yes. It's not for the men. <laughs> they yes. don't care about Very good them. Point. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Great. Um, is there anything else in this chapter you wanted to touch on or point out before we move on? I don't. I don't think so. No. Okay. Great. Yeah. So it, it's funny. If, it is. Oh well. I'll just say it is funny that it is called of men because, as yeah. you say, it actually doesn't say much about of about the men at all. And we'll have to yeah. wait to a later chapter to actually find out. I was. I was going to say yeah. it's interesting. I, like I think the only reason that chapter is put there is because they are born. At the rising of exactly. the first sun, yeah. and the sun and the moon obviously had just been created in the previous chapter. But yep. then we jump to this next chapter, and I was like, "Oh, okay. So we've just introduced the men. Are they going to, you know, play some part in what's happening?" No, not we yet. Don't see them <laughs> <laughs> not for a while. <laughs> so not for a while. So um, this next chapter, chapter thirteen of the return of the Noldor. 
And as I said in our messages, I think I had yet to read the chapters yet. And just judging from the title, I was like, oh, oh, boy, what's Feanor up to? What's he going to do? This is a big one. There's a lot of that sort of um, Silmarillion jumps around a bit, especially in these chapters. And, you know, we had chapter nine where the flight of the Noldor, right? And this is kind of now the the other side of that, right? We saw them run away. (laughs) Well, not run away, but, you know, head off after Morgoth uh, to Middle-earth. And now we're catching up. We got a couple of chapters or a few chapters of what happened in the middle. Um, mm-hmm. with uh, with Thingol and 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 uh, and the men now, and now we're going to find out what happened when uh, right. Feanor gets to Middle Earth. Yeah, and also ju- judging from the title, I was like, oh, so are they going to go back to Valinor? Good and point. I was like, oh, that's going to be interesting. Like, are we going to have point. to see like Feanor like groveling, being like, <laughs> <laughs> we made a mistake. <laughs> Can we please come back? But that does not happen at all. So. Um, we, yeah, we know what happened with how they left. Um, Feanor took his sons and some other people who could fit in the boats that they had. They crossed the sea, reached the land, and then burned all the boats. And then that left behind his brother, Fingolfin, who was then left to, um, lead the rest of the people uh, over the stretch of, you know, desolate ice, um, very treacherous journey in order for them to make it to Middle Earth, um, which they eventually do. So, yes, when they arrive on land and they burn the boats, it says that the flames were seen not only by Fingolfin, but also by the orcs and the watchers of Morgoth, Whoops. which it's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just so much of this, of what happens here and like everything to do with Feanor is him just like not thinking through and just not knowing about you know consequences basically yeah um so Morgoth is like ooh my my enemy my mortal enemy even though they're not mortal whatever anyway um arch nemesis there we go Feanor is here so he sends out his you know fleet of bad guys to go and fight them, thinking that they are going to, you know, surprise them and catch them unawares. And this is the this is known as the second battle in the wars of Beleriand. And even though the Noldor are outnumbered and they were surprised, they were still victorious for the light of Amon was not yet dimmed in their eyes and they were strong and swift and deadly in anger and their swords were long and terrible. Oh yeah. Cause I think it also mentions that Morgoth doesn't know that they've like created all these weapons yet. He doesn't right. know that like what they've done to strengthen themselves. So yeah, they win the orcs flee um, and head back to Angband and this was a 10-day battle, it says, um, and Morgoth is obviously very upset that he lost this battle. Um, however, a little like spot of hope for him is that he learns that Feanor has not like stopped their journey at all, and he is dead set on like following the orcs and figuring out where Morgoth is and going to take him on one on one and take him out. And he is just Feanor 
has just like lost. I mean, he's yeah. gone off the deep end. I, I think I've said that like 20 times so far in his story <laughs> that like, yeah, he's gone off the deep end. But um, yeah, his wrath against the enemy, he would not halt. Um, he laughed aloud as he wielded his sword, rejoicing that he had dared the wrath of the Valar and the evils of the road, that he might see the hour of his vengeance. Nothing did he know of Angband. Yeah, this is this is the key point, right? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing did he know. That's just what, you know, his his journey and story in summary. Um, so he has no idea about Angband and this fortress and the defenses that Morgoth has um, prepared. So on the road, because he is refusing to halt and he's so fueled by anger and vengeance, um, he gets ahead of his people and is by himself. And that's when Morgoth sends some Balrogs up to fight him. I was just going to say, there's a there's this wonderful thing where he says, you know, he didn't know the strength of uh, of the defense of Morgoth, but it adds, even had he known, it wouldn't have deterred him. Yes, <laughs> right. He is but so even, insanely yes. consumed, so by this consumed rock. by the flame of his own wrath. Yeah. Yes, so true. Um, so just like he's just hopeless. Yeah, yeah exactly. Just, yeah. There, yeah, there's no there's no saving him anymore. Um. So he is alone and he is surrounded, um, wrapped in fire and wounded with many wounds, it says. And he was smitten to the ground by Gothmog, Lord of Balrogs. And this is why I think you mentioned, uh, oh, we were, I think, before, before we had recording. started recording, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that it already mentions Ecthelion slew in Gondolin, Gothmog. Yeah. Um, Spoiler alert. Is, yeah, which, yeah, so I guess we'll see that happen. Um, is this the same, this can't be the same Ecthelion who is Denethor's no. father? No, 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 no. Okay. No, Denethor's, in fact, Denethor's, there are multiple Denethor's as well. Yeah. Um, but the Denethor that we know from Lord of the Rings, his father Ecthelion is named after this Ecthelion. Okay, Pres- they're presumably. both named after other, <laughs> yes, okay, yes, cool. exactly. Um, sweet. So just clearing that up for myself and for <laughs> yep. anyone else, because, of course, I remember that iconic line from Return of the King as Denethor is running off on fire and yes, Gandalf so goes, in, yeah. so passes Denethor, son of Ecthelion. Um, terrible Gandalf impression. Moving on. <laughs> um, however, good news. Fanhor's sons arrive just in time and they... Fight them off, and the Balrogs leave and go back to Angban, and they are able to get their father. And as they are traveling um, n- north, at east, west, they're heading towards some mountains, and Feanor's like, I can't do this anymore. I, I know my time has come. Um, and it says, he cursed the name of Morgoth thrice. And laid it upon his sons to hold to their oath and to avenge their father. Then he died. So that's the end of Feanor. And I was very, I knew that he would be dying at some point soon because Mandos in a previous chapter said very, typical Mandos. He does this all the time (laughs) where like everyone's just like hanging out and then he'll be like, he'll say something really ominous. Um, And he, Mando said that Feanor would be coming to see him in the hall, in his halls soon. Um, 
I didn't realize it would be this soon. <laughs> right, like exactly. literally, it like does happen very two, quickly. Like like two days into, or I guess the battle was ten days long at least. But you know, they've been there for like two weeks, two weeks and then yeah. Feanor dies. <laughs> so um yeah, he died. He had neither burial nor tomb, for so fiery was his spirit that as it sped, his body fell to ash and was borne away like smoke. So that's creepy and weird <laughs> <laughs> that he just kind of withers away. Um, and it says, thus ended the mightiest of the Noldor, whose deeds both came, uh, whose deeds came both their greatest renown and their most grievous woe. So that's the end of Feanor. And I'm kind of depressed about it purely because Feanor provided like the most entertainment reading <laughs> the Silmarillion. Anything involving Feanor, I was quickly like, oh, this is going to be dramatic. This is going to be extra. There's a lot of things that's going to be happening. So, Well, don't I'm, worry, because he just made his son swear, you know, yeah. swear vengeance. and. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, of course, they had taken their oath before they left right. um, Valinor. And, you know, they've kind of like repledged their loyalty to that oath that they will never um, like be be at peace as long as Morgoth is still a thing and that they will always be at battle with him, essentially. Well, not on, not only that, but they won't rest until the sum the the Silmarils are back in right. in their hands. So no matter yes. who gets hold of the Silmarils, Morgoth or anyone else, they they won't yes. rest. Yep. Um. Let's see. Sorry, just want to make sure I'm checking my notes right. Yes. Um. Important to note that in this chapter, there are so many references to geographic locations. It's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> and like the amount of times I was flipping back and forth to my map in the back of the book. Yes. It was kind of ridiculous. But um. yeah, when I, I, guess I when I taught the class for this, we had a map open at all times because Yes. It's really important for the, for this chapter and, and yeah. subsequent chapters, yeah. It's so it's so confusing. Um I've seen some people um there's some books that are created where when there's a map, it folds, it's at the back of the book and it folds out. Yep. So you can just have it like lined up next to your page as you are reading and I'm like I need that because having to flip back and it's not like oh let me flip to you know like to like it's a chunk of a book that I have to like yeah. keep flopping around in my hands back and forth. But uh, but I would I would encourage readers to do that because it really does help to look at the map. Not only that but also the family tree reminding yourselves of of the oh God, yeah. <laughs> of the other like uh, Finway's sons and their sons. So yeah. who are Feanor's sons? All, yeah, who, all who are Fingolfin's like, sons? Who are Fingolfin's sons? Cousins and yeah, yeah. yeah. So don't be, if, um, if, if you have to pause and, and go look at a family tree or a map, that's completely normal and I would highly encourage it. Yes. I will do my best to describe this, of course, on a visual, I mean, on an audio medium. Um, so the rough area geographically that we're talking about here. So... Um, Everyone picture in your head a four, you're in math class and you're in, you're mapping out on a four quadrant graph. Um, in the top left quadrant is Hithlum. And in, this is also, this is also what gets confusing because as you're reading the book, that he'll go back and forth between like Hithlum and Mithrim. And Mithrim is a location within mm -hmm. the land of Hithlum. And so when you're talking about 
Hithlum, or when you're talking about Mithrim, you're also talking about Hithlum. Right. Um, so that's very confusing. So anyway, so in the top left quadrant is Hithlum, where are these mountain ranges and this area of land known as Mithrim. So that's kind of like one main area. Then in the top right quadrant is, I don't even know how to pronounce it, but it's kind of where Morgoth has taken Morgoth's domain, where he's kind of taken charge of that land. Yep. Uh, are you talking about Ard- Ardgalan? Yes. Yep. Um, and then below that, in the bottom right quadrant, is the annoying thing is that the fold of my map also cut <laughs> Dor- Doriath. Yep, Doriath, yep. Um, the forest where Thingol and Melian are. So those are kind of our main quadrants. Yep. Um, at some point later in the story, um, pretend we add another quadrant onto the very right side um, of Morgoth's land. And that's where Maedhros will go at some point. Um, but these main three lands are kind of where we're at. And so once I figured out, like, okay, this is kind of the rough area of what we're dealing with now, it was more helpful. So that being said, there were still a lot of points where he's talking about locations. And I'm like, I I cannot locate this on the map. I don't know where we are. (laughs) (laughs) And that's when I just gave up and was like, eh, whatever. So they travel over the mountains. It says, all the elves of Beleriand were filled with wonder and with hope at the coming of their mighty kindred, who thus returned unlooked for from the West in the very hour of their need. Believing indeed at first that they came as emissaries of the Valar to deliver them. So the oh sorry. No, ahead. I was you just gonna say because thing. remember, you know, the the uh the Sindar have been here mm-hmm. under under King Fingal. And they'd already had the battle. Remember the, the, right. the battle we talked about at the start of the chapter was the second battle of Beleriand, right? Yes. The first battle of Beleriand was the Sindar that had had, had been in Beleriand, stayed in Beleriand. They had a difficult time. They were they were victorious on one side, not so victorious in another. Kiodan got pushed, was under siege, um, and so on. So they were quite hopeful when all of a sudden their Noldor uh, brothers um, appeared. Yeah. They thought, yes, the, the Valar have sent us help. Yes. And also, they're very relieved that they are, they're not there to be like, hey, the Valar sent us to come get you. Right. And you're going to come over back to Valinor with us. Because at this point, they've already you know, established their lives, established their land and kingdom yep. and everything over here. They're living a pretty happy life. They're not worried about going over to um, to Valinor. Um, so, yeah, it, it's just so funny, like, what they don't know yet about these people. They're like, oh, my God, more elves. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to see what kind of, you know... Family well, reunions we have. Well, and- especially because remember that the way that Feanor got the ships to sail over oh my God, yeah. was to kill a bunch of Teleri, who are the yeah. the most, who are the, the, the Sindar who stayed behind are related to the Teleri. Yes. So it's sort of like, yay, the Noldor, not knowing what the Noldor have yeah, done. Yeah, there's to get so there. much they don't know. Yeah. Yep. Um, so. Even in the hour of the death of Feanor, so Feanor has just died, and a messenger comes from Morgoth um, saying that he is surrendering and offering terms even to the surrender of a Silmaril. And 
I was just kind of laughing at this because <laughs> in my mind, I've just been imagining all of this as like great, like ancient Greek mythology and like all out battle. And I'm just imagining like the movie Troy and everything. <laughs> and so when like Morgoth sends like it's a, he, he sends an embassy is what it is what it says it just makes it seem like so much more like dignified and diplomatic (laughs) than i've been imagining in my head um so madros and a reminder for everyone i have never been able to properly pronounce his name so we're just not going to worry about it madros is now in in charge (laughs) because he's the oldest of feanor's sons and feanor's dead and they're obviously like uh yeah, Morgoth wants to surrender. Sure, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like he's just killed his arch nemesis, and you're telling us he wants to surrender. Yeah, right. So they go to. They decide to you know kind of like double bluff here, and they're like, yeah, we're gonna accept your your terms. Let's meet up. Like, nobody bring any backup. And then, of course, everyone brings backup. Um, So an all-out battle um, breaks out. And they eventually draw back. But Morgoth is able to capture Medros. And he is held hostage. Morgoth says, I'll release him to you if you, you know, surrender, so to speak, you forfeit this war and you leave and depart from Beleriand into the south of the world, it says. Um, But because of their oath that they have taken, they cannot in any means forsake this war. So they have to leave their brother there. Morgoth takes him and hangs him upon the it says the precipice upon Thangorodrim. Is that just a part of Angband? It's the mountain on top of the, the ma- that, that Angband okay. is under. Yeah, yeah. So it's okay, the got it. Massive mountain. Yep. Got it. Um, yeah. So he is hung upon this mountain and caught to the rock by the wrist of his right hand in a band of steel. So he's just hanging by his hand on this mountain forever, essentially, or maybe not forever. Ooh. <laughs> Something that I hadn't noticed before. Earlier, when Feanor is dying, he looks out and sees the mountains of Thangorodrim as he's dying. That's sort of his the last, it says at the top of the, the, the chapter, that this is the sort of the last thing he sees when he's cursing Morgoth and everything. It's quite chilling to think he didn't know that his eldest son was going to be chained Would be, to, yeah. <laughs> to that mountain, uh, uh, you know, not, not very long after. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very chilling. I'm, I'm trying to remember like all of my terminology from back in like English high school classes of like having to do with like the Greek tragedies and stuff. But I guess uh-huh. it's just, you know, tragic and the, irony and, there yeah, or something, and you know. Foreshadowing and all sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In the meantime, Finn Golfin and his people have now made it to Middle Earth. And remember, of Finn course- Golfin, remember, Finn Golfin is, uh, is uh, Fainor's brother. Yes, Just, yeah. yes. The second, the brother the that Feanor Im- abandoned yes. <laughs> on the other side yes. Yes. of Valinor. And of course, Fingolfin doesn't know right now that Feanor is dead. They march and are triumphantly, you know, arriving onto Middle Earth. They unfurl his blue and silver banners and blew his horns and flowers sprang beneath his marching feet. This is when the sun's risen. Now we're yes. back. We've caught back up to when the sun... This is that the, he arrives just as the sun comes up for the first time. Isn't that the moon? Isn't doesn't he arrive when the moon 
comes up. He does, but then the sun comes up for the first time as well. So um, that's why it says that the ages of the – it says it right in this in this paragraph. The ages of the stars were ended, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, right, because without a moon, you can't have a rising of the sun too. Right. Because then the, the sun is just always there. <laughs> yep. Anyway, they – head into Morgoth's land. Um, and the challenge of their trumpets shook the towers of Thangorodrim. And Medros heard them amid his torment and cried aloud, but his voice was lost in the echoes of the stone. So just how terrible to be like, yeah. help! And literally <laughs> yeah, and no one hear yep. can hear you. Um, I love that it says, Fingolfin, being of other temper than Feanor. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank goodness. So they, yeah. So they withdraw and they go back on the other side of these mountains, back into Mithrim. It's kind of like awkward. Uh, hey, like the two, you know, Feanor's company and Fingolfin's company are kind of like meeting each other again for the first time and it's right. like Ugh, awkward <laughs> and even more awkward that like the guy who made you do all of this is not here anymore right. he is gone so you can't even be like nah this is between Feanor and y'all like he just told us what to do or something um Anyway, so it says, no love was there in the hearts of those that followed Fingolfin for the house of Feanor, which I can't, cannot blame them. Absolutely. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, however, it does mention that the many of Feanor's people, the burning of the boats was kind of like, they were like, I was... I was on board with you until then, and right. now I'm not sure about what we did. Um, so they're feeling pretty bad about having abandoned. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't you? <laughs> like, congratulations. You have, like, an ounce of sympathy and empathy for what you did to your fellow <laughs> kin. Anyway, but it says they would have welcomed them. So a lot of Feanor's people would have welcomed Fingolfin's people with open arms, but they dared not for shame, as the, as they should, I think. They, yeah. were, they were afraid of, you know, they were very ashamed of their actions, and so they just didn't try to make amends. Fingon the son of Fingolfin. God, like, God bless Fingon. He's the only one trying to do anything positive <laughs> here. He wants to mend this rift between these two peoples. Obviously, you know, these are also like his cousins. And well, I guess his uncle is dead and his other uncle is back over in Valinor. But anyway, you know, so um, these are his, you know, his family and his people and his friends and and whatnot. So he is resolved to do all of this um, on his own, essentially. So he goes and sneaks into Morgoth's land, which he has set um, like a, a fog around it um, to try and get the upper hand on the Noldor. But Fingon uses that to his advantage to sneak in. Um, and so I love this. It says, alone and without the counsel of any, he set forth in search of Medros. Um, I love that it says without the counsel of any, because that is very much a Feanor move. Um, <laughs> but but this, it's time like, for, this time for, for good. good. Yeah. yeah, it's like if Feanor did, did things for good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Um, so he climbs up the mountain and find. Uh, oh wait, no, sorry. Let me go back. So he gets to Angband and kind of looks in all these caves and is like, I don't know where to go. And I love this part. So he he said he he's looking around at all these people. They're fighting, and he's like, I got to do something about this. I'm going on a secret mission. All right, let me pack my bag. Okay, but maybe bow and arrow, sword, some water. Got to stay hydrated. Oh yeah, and my harp. So he's there at Engban and he pulls out his harp right. and starts singing. singing. Yep. <laughs> and he sings the song that only the, you know the Noldor would know. Medros sings along because he hears it. So he starts singing, and that is how Fingon is able to find him. He follows voice because obviously the orcs <laughs> don't even know what, <laughs> what what's going on. So He's the only one singing, and Fengon finds him. And <clears throat> Medros is so anguished that he begs Fengon to just shoot him and into the misery now. And Fengon, because Fengon can't get to him. Yeah, uh, Fengon's Fingon found him. He's found him, but can't can't actually get to him because he's on mm-hmm. the precipice. Yeah, yeah. So he pulls out his bow and arrow and pulls back the string to shoot the arrow and kill him. And as this is happening, he cries to Manwe, saying, O king, to whom all birds are dear, speed now this feathered shaft and recall some pity for the Noldor in their need. So, yes, this is the one time really that Manwe's like, oh, Maedhros is about to die? Let me help out. Yep. <laughs> so he sends, what else? An eagle! <laughs> so an eagle comes and lifts Fengon up to Maedros, like literally as he's about to like release the bow, um, the, the eagle appears. And they can't get the, the, the shackle off of his hand. So he just cuts his hand off and Maedros drops down onto, I guess, the eagle and they fly away. <laughs> Back to Mithrim. Um, yay! Happy ending, sort of. Why isn't why isn't Medros called one, one hand? hand? Maybe he should. Maybe that's what he should be called. Maybe that's what we'll call him from now on. Uh, old Medros, one hand. <laughs> so he rests. He heals. As this is all happening, he goes over to Fingolfin, Feanor's brother, who he abandoned in Valinor, and begs for forgiveness because obviously Fingon, his act that he has done has completely, you know, for him, he's like, this is a sign we need to, you know, come together again. And so he goes to Fingolfin. Can you tell that there's so much hesitance every time I say like Finn or like <laughs> where I'm like, okay, what which, which name is, yeah. is about to come out of my mouth? Um, f- he goes to Fingolfin and he waves his claim to the kingship over all the Noldor because at this point, Feanor's dead. The oldest son, so Finway died, leaving kingship to Feanor. Um, Feanor died and Maedhros, his oldest son, should technically be next in line. However, he passes it on to Fingolfin as a sign that they are ready to, you know, put these things behind them and move forward. However, it says, but to this, his brothers did not all in their hearts agree. Yeah, they're like, so what? I think what are you doing, yeah. Maedhros? <laughs> yeah, so I think it's funny that Maedhros is over there like, I... 
renounce my title and I give it on to you. And then the rest of his brothers are like, what? Hang on now. Um, wait a minute. Um, I don't know about that. <laughs> so um, as it was foretold by Mandos, the House of Feanor were called the Dispossessed because they passed the lordship from the oldest to the next oldest in line, essentially. Now, what's Thingle doing? (laughs) Well, King Thingle welcomed not with a full heart the coming of so many princes in might out of the West, eager for new realms. And I can't say I blame him. Exactly. (laughs) I think he's a very good king by the decisions that he is making here going forward. Because he's looking at like all the... like. This new group of elves show up and immediately go to war with Morgoth and just like battles and balrogs and eagles are showing up like... It, it they don't bring good news anywhere they go. I, I have to point out though that it's explicitly says suggested that the reason that King Thingol is wise is actually because of Melian. So it's sort of true <laughs> for wise with the wisdom of Melian, he trusted not that the restraint of Morgoth would endure. So thank goodness, so, for, thank goodness for Melian. Yes, so true. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, however, he does allow. Um, I had to like do like the, you know, family mapping in my head to figure this out. He does allow those of Finarfin's house were allowed to go into Doriath because their mother was always daughter. So here's the Thingle, also known as Elway. Elway and Olway were brothers. Finarfin's son, Finarfin, the third son of Finway, who Finarfin turned back at the last minute and went back to Tyrion in Valinor. So he's still over there, but some of his his sons and and some of his people still came over there. Notably, his his daughter, Galadriel. Yes, and his daughter, yes. (laughs) Important. She's important. Those ones that are there, Thingle is their great uncle. It took me so long to work that out. (laughs) Um, Also, when you learn that, I don't, maybe I did know previously that um, there, that Finarfin's wife was always daughter. So that means she was a Teleri. That adds a whole other level of horrificness to exactly. what happened that Finarfin's sons in that battle were killing their mother's own like own Kin. people and yeah. you know their you know possible you know cousins or aunts or uncles or you know grandfather on on their mother's side in that battle right and that's 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 important to remember um when thinking about people like Galadriel and and Finrod, the, the her brother, to a, a, an extent as well. But yeah, they had extra reason to hate Fainor. <laughs> yeah, they are allowed to go into Menegroth. So they kind of send one. Of, they send Angrod, son of Finarfin, um, as a messenger. And so he goes to Thingol. I'll, I'll, I'll just point out for those of you who don't remember, Menegroth is the the underground yes. realm within Doriath. It's where it's the the yeah. Where King, where the, Thingol yeah, the lives, fortress. Yeah, 
Yeah, and a reminder, of course, that Melian made this like magic bubble protection <laughs> yeah. over them called the girdle of Melian. And I pointed out that girdle is just a very weird word. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so he goes as a messenger to Thangle to try to convince them, be like, yeah, the Noldor are really awesome. Like we did all these things, the the, the Silmarils, and you know, we we did all this really cool stuff and we're strong and smart. Um, however, he spoke no word concerning the kinslaying, nor the manner of the exile of the Noldor and the Oath of Feanor. Yeah, conveniently, so conveniently, for, <laughs> conveniently forgot to mention. <laughs> oh my! Yeah, conveniently forgot to mention that we murdered some of your own people. Um. Anyway, but we're really nice. <laughs> <laughs> like, we make pretty cool swords now, I guess. I don't know. Basically, Thingle is like, look, y'all can be here, obviously, but, like, I'm kind of the king over here. This is my <laughs> land. Don't come into it. Like, you can come and hang out for dinner and a sleepover if you want, but you are not going to live here. This is my land. You can go into these other parts of the land if you want. And so he goes back to the rest of the Noldor and shares this message. And Maedhros is like, you know what? That sounds good. <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> you well, it's know? funny. The, the other sons of Feanor are angered. Yes. They're like, they're like the, you know, the gall of that guy. And Maedhros is like, you know what? This is a good king. Right? He understands what it means to be a king. Yes. He says, let him be glad he has the sons of Finway for his neighbors and not the orcs of Morgoth. <laughs> right. But Carinthir, who loved not the sons of Finarfin and was the harshest of the brothers and the most quick to anger. <laughs> so Which I think is hilarious because it's not, they're all harsh and they're all quick to anger. So know, yeah. if he's the worst, that's saying something. Yeah, he got those Feanor jeans, like, just straight copy. And he's like, um, no, we're the kings here. Let them not forget that we are in charge. Also, he's like, who made you, like, who died and made you our spokesman? Um, What's his name? Angrod. Like, let not the sons of, he says, let not the sons of Finarfin run hither and thither with their tails to this dark elf in his caves. And Angrok easily could have been like, um, I purposefully like left out the biggest red flag to make you guys look good, okay? And also the only reason that Finarfin, uh, the sons of Finarfin are able to go in is because that's they're the only ones allowed in. So that's who you have for your messenger. You just got to live with it. The other funny thing is that they call him a dark elf, which of course he's not because he did go to Valinor and see the two trees. So that's they, true. they're conveniently forgetting that he has actually. He's actually one of the Calaquendi. Yes, um, that's true. Yeah. He just decided not to go back. <laughs> yes. Got a bit distracted on the way over there. <laughs> Everyone else is like, mm, I don't know about that, Carinthir. That seems a bit harsh. And they're all a bit worried. It says, fearing the fell spirit of the sons of Feanor that it seemed would ever be like to burst forth in rash word or violence. So Maedhros takes his brothers and they depart and they head. Remember that like extra quadrant I was telling you guys earlier to add to the right on the far right of the map. So they head on the other side 
of Morgoth's territory. It said that Maedhros decided to go over there because he was very willing that the chief peril of assault should fall upon himself. So he's kind of like, you know what? If if this draws attention to us on this side, uh, if this draws Morgoth's attention over to us, so be it. Because also we have that unbreakable vow that we did. Right. <laughs> and it, it's interesting. Uh, we made the, that oath. <laughs> the region, the region is called the March of of Maedhros, yes. and and that word March is is the term for the the border land, right? So that's what a march is. It's the it's the outer boundary of of a land. So he's setting himself up to be on the border of Morgoth's land and and the rest of the place. So yeah. But Carinthir is pretty mad about this. <laughs> um. So he takes some people and they go even further east of where Maedhros went. It is there that they stumble upon the dwarves. Um, it says no great love was there between them, <laughs> um, for the dwarves were secret and quick to resentment, and Carinthir was haughty and scarce concealed his scorn for the unloveliness of the Nalgrim. So, and his people followed their lord. So it was really Carinthir who didn't like him, and then the rest yeah. of the people are like, eh, "Yeah, we don't like him either." But to your point, do you notice it says it starts off saying the dwarves were secret? But then the moment it's talking about Karen Thrier's scorn, they're referred to as the Nalgrim. Nalgrim, yeah. Yeah, the insulting term that the elves use for them, yes. <laughs> However, they both don't, you know, an enemy of my enemy is my ally. <laughs> yes. They both don't like Morgoth. So they make an alliance and had of it great profit. So the Nalgrim learn many secrets of craft because obviously... um, they have this connection of Aule, the, the Noldor and the dwarves too, and the Noldor are great crafters, so they pass on all of this knowledge. And then because of where Carinthir has set up his, you know, camp of people, anytime the dwarves pass through them, I guess it's like a, a, a tax <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, a, you know, a toll, essentially. Yeah, it says, all the traffic of the dwarf mines passed first through the hands of Carinthir, and thus great riches came to him. So they've kind of set up an, an alliance that, honestly, it sounds like the elves are getting more out of it than the dwarves, but okay, as long as the dwarves are happy with it, I guess. Maybe we'll see more about that later. Then 20 years pass. <laughs> And Fingolfin, king of the Noldor, made a great feast. And it is called the Feast of Reuniting. And this is a really big deal. And so they all come together. And I love it makes me laugh that it took them 20 years <laughs> to get to a point where they could like all hang out in the same room right. and be like, wasn't that a crazy time we all had together back <laughs> Remember then? Remember that time when... <laughs> that I killed your the rest of your kin? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they have a really great feast. Oaths were sworn of league and friendship. It is told that the tongue of the Grey Elves was most spoken even by the Noldor. You know, you can kind of see after 20 years of them being in Middle-earth, everything's kind of, you know, coming together a little bit peacefully. It says, In those days there was joy beneath the new sun and moon, and all the land was glad, but still the shadow brooded in the north. Ooh. Mm. I will point out one thing. The um, only two people came from Doriath to the uh, the Feast of Reuniting. Everyone else came, all the green elves from Assyrian, um, Kyrdan oh, yeah. and his people from the Havens came, but out of Doriath there came but two messengers. Mablung and 
Dairon. So I was making fun of this name in one of the previous chapters because it just sounds like Darren. <laughs> no, it's Dairon. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure it's Di- Yeah, I'm sure it's like pronounced it. But like you look at it and it's like Darren. <laughs> <laughs> and Mablung is not Mablung is not the same Mablung that's with Faramir in Lord of the Rings. That's a, a ranger that's named after this Mablung. Man, oh my gosh. Yeah. Fun fact about Dairon. Dairon was the one that invented the uh what we think of as the dwarf runes, the runes in uh, in Moria were invented by yes, this, yeah. this guy, Dairon. Yep. Good old Darren. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Darren's runes. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Turgon, son of Fingolfin, and Finrod, and uh, Finrod is... Finarfin's oldest son. Okay. Cousins, you know. Yep. They decide to go on a road trip, <laughs> um, and they... It just says they, I think this saw Or a, hike, a hiking trip, yeah. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, they're just heading, I don't know, just going on a traveling, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and they go to sleep, and Olmo comes up in the river and lays a deep sleep upon them in heavy dreams. And the trouble of dreams remained after they woke, but neither said aught to the other, for their memory was not clear. And then I love this part. And each believed that Olmo had sent a message to him alone. Yeah, it's this funny thing, like, I had the weirdest dream, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell <laughs> my cousin because it's too weird. And the other one's thinking exactly the same thing. Yeah. They're still kind of like traveling around and they both have this weird feeling and they're never really able to make sense of that um and it says for it seemed to each that he was bidden to prepare for a day of evil and to establish a retreat lest morgoth should burst from angband and overthrow the armies of the north so that's kind of all that they think that they're supposed to do and that's kind of all we hear of it for now and then the next chapter moves on i mean the next paragraph moves on to finrod and galadriel so (laughs) that's it but it is, I, I will say, it, both the, their dreams are very important okay. to, to the rest of the story. I figured, <laughs> so it, remember would be imp- it. Remember I the figured it would be important because at the time it just feels random. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That like, nah. okay, they had we, some we do, we, dreams. We do, we do find out immediately in this chapter about Finrod, what, what yes. Finrod does with his dream. Um, yeah. What, what Turgon does with his dream is going to become important later. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Every now and then Finrod and Galadriel, um, who are kin of Thangol are let into Doriath. Finrod is so impressed with Menegroth and he's like, oh, this is cool. I want one. So <laughs> I love caves. <laughs> yeah. He's like, this is awesome. Let's do it. So he sets out and comes to the caverns of Naurog and began to establish their deep halls and armories after the fashion of the mansions of Menegroth. And that stronghold was called Nargothrond. And so the dwarves help out and help him make this, you know, fortress. In payment, they make, f- uh, in that time was made for him. Wait. Hmm. Oh, I think Not in I payment. This. I think it's kind of a housewarming party. I'm, a housewarming, I, I misread I this. I misread that. Whoops. I thought I was on to something and I totally <laughs> misread it. So never mind. They they are paid. It says they were rewarded well yeah. um, because Fenrod brought some cool treasures back from, from Tyrion. Tyrion. Yeah. And they make the Nauglamir, the Necklace of Dwarves, most renowned of their works in the Elder Days. Um, And it's just a really fancy necklace that's really light. 
weight when you when you put it on and it the person who wears it is always with grace and loveliness. I can't exactly I've had so many people explain to me like what like what's this beef between when we're, you know when you're reading Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. what's this beef between the dwarves and the elves and I can never like I, my memory from those episodes is just so you know whatever gone so I don't exactly remember what was explained to me. But I think I remember it involving something to do with a necklace and something about something was made and then it was stolen and people were like, no, that was mine because we made it and all this other stuff. So I'm like, hmm, a necklace mayhaps. So I don't know. Maybe this necklace will come back and maybe it won't. We'll just have to see. (laughs) Yeah. Finrod makes his fancy home here. Um, he is called by the dwarves Felagund, Hewer of Caves, and that is the name he bore thereafter until his end. It's funny. It says uh, he was not the first to dwell in the caves beside the river Nagran. And then it, then the next sentence just says, Gladriel, his sister, went not with him. So he did. she did not go there. Yeah, we're not, we're not told who the first to dwell in the caves were. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's ominous. He was not the first to dwell in the caves. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then it just says, Galadriel, his sister. And so I was like, oh, okay. It's going to say like Galadriel was somehow first, there before. Yeah. And then I was nope. like, no, she wasn't there <laughs> nope. at all. Anyway, she remained in the hidden kingdom and abode with Melian. And of her learned great lore and wisdom concerning Middle Earth. And there she met kinsmen of Thingol, Celeborn. And they get married, obviously. Uh. And that, you know, we meet them later. So many, many books down the line, we meet them again. Um, <clears throat> That's their meet cute. Yes. <laughs> yeah. In, uh, in Doria. So Turgon, meanwhile, the, the other guy who was with Finrod when they had these weird dreams, remembers Tyrion and the, the city on the hill. And he's like, oh, we kind of did have a really good thing over there. <laughs> Is there some way we could do it again here? And Olmo appeared to him and uh, bade him go forth again alone into the Vale of Sirion. This was where I, this was the part where I was just trying to find it on the map and be like, where are we? <laughs> um, but he goes down a river until he discovers the hidden Vale of Tumladen in the encircling mountains in the midst of which there was a hill of stone. He, he doesn't tell anyone about this. Obviously, it's his secret hiding spot. I don't know. It's his secret yep. city, I guess, that he is going to do. But he plans to create a city after, you know, the model of Tyrion upon Tuna and kind of recreate it there. So I guess more to come on that matter. Yeah. Yes. And it's a big deal. So pay attention to this, <laughs> to this part. It's going to be a very important part of the story. Now, Morgoth, he's still, you know, things are still going on. Morgoth, believing the report of his spies that the lords of the Noldor were wandering abroad with little thought of war, made trial of the strength and watchfulness of his enemies. So Morgoth is like, okay, they seem to have forgotten about me. They've forgotten about this battle. I think Mm -hmm. now's the perfect time to surprise them. He goes... He, he, you know, sends orcs out to surprise Fingolfin and Maedhros. Um, But they were not sleeping, of course, because they could never forget about this battle, um, the, this war that they have because to remember, win. Because remember, 
because remember, they still haven't got the Silmarils. We haven't heard mm-hmm. about the Silmarils for a while. Remember, that's what they're ultimately there for. Yeah. Get the Silmarils. Yeah. So Morgoth is like, they've forgotten all about this. This is the perfect <laughs> time. And then like, meanwhile, you know, of course, they've never forgotten about it. Um, and so this is the third great battle of the Wars of Beleriand, and it was named Dagor Aglareb, the Glorious Battle. Um, so they defeated the servants of Morgoth and pursued them across Ard Galen, which is Morgoth's land, destroyed them utterly to the least and last within sight of Angband's gates. So this is kind of the closest they've gotten to actually fighting at Angband um, in his fortress, aside from Feanor going back Going himself, solo, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which did not turn out well. They see this as a victory, and they decide it is time for a siege. So this is the siege of Angband, which lasted 400 years. <laughs> the war never wholly ceased in all that time of the siege, it says. Um, And so in that time, Morgoth devised new evils. Ever and anon, he would make trial of his enemies. So it's just kind of so much back and forth of like the the Noldor are constantly fighting against against Morgoth and his, you know, creations. And this siege upon Angband is going well. But then Morgoth is still fighting back with all of these... Um, you know, evils that he is creating. However, he sends some orcs out because there's this one part of his land that no one can really reach to cover. And so that's where he sends out the orcs to kind of like spy and fight and do whatever. And they are commanded to take alive anyone they come across. And so they bring back um, some elves, I guess, and... Morgoth, in this way, learns much of what had befallen since the rebellion of Feanor, and he rejoiced, seeing therein the seed of many dissensions among his foes. So Morgoth is now finally learning that what Feanor set out to do mm, did not go well. (laughs) Not going well, and a lot of what, I mean, like, sure, ultimately, they've reached their goal of of getting to Middle-earth, but Feanor's dead. His sons are, you know, fighting amongst each other and have different ideas of how to move forward. They've passed the kingship on to Fingolfin. Um, so he he counts that as, I don't know, a tally in his column for him. Yeah, I think I think I was gonna say, I think that's really important that, that Morgoth realizes that the greatest weapon he has against the elves is the dissension within amongst yeah. the, the elves. Yeah. Which has always been his strong suit you know yes yes that's true <laughs> going sowing right back, those uh, yeah. seeds of defeat i mean yeah. of deceit yeah. yes absolutely <laughs> so meanwhile during this siege i guess morgoth makes dragons mm-hmm. is that is that what happens because oh wait sorry let me go back real quick he was going to take fingolfin right. by surprise and sends an army over to fight him and Fingon, I think, is on, yeah, is like on the way, I guess, to see his dad, his, wait, whatever. I'm getting so confused no, now. No, anyway, uncle, fi- uncle. Finger, uncle. Fingolfin is the uncle of Fingon. Yes. Oh, no, no. Fingon is- No, 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 no. Father, sorry. <laughs> see, it's- It is, yeah. It's too confusing. Yeah. No, Fingon anyway, is his Fingon father. is nearby. Yeah. He's yeah. Near, he might not even be on the way to see yeah. him. Whatever. Yeah. He's nearby father. and yeah. he sees all these orcs and he just like takes them out. Um, and it, but it says, um, 
that this was not this was not reckoned among the great battles for the orcs were not great in number. You can imagine Fingen going, "Come on, like, what do you are mean you it's serious? Not re- what do you mean it's yeah. not reckoned among the great battles?" That's what I was thinking too. I'm like, "Are you serious?" Like, <laughs> he just took out kidding? all of this stuff yeah. by himself, you know. Um, and then Morgoth, it just says, after a hundred years. Glaurung, the first of the Uru-Loki, the fire drakes of the yep. north, issued from Angband's gates by night. So, yeah, Morgoth has just casually created a dragon. Yep. However, the dragon kind of got a little bit ahead of yeah, himself. Still, still a baby. He was young um, and not even half grown. He was still kind of slow, and I don't think his, like, scales, you know, his armor was, like, fully strong yet. So he is easily defeated and, like, warded off. And so he goes flying back to Angband, um, and Fingon's happy, and the Noldor are happy. And they're just kind of oblivious to what this means. It says, few foresaw the full meaning and threat of this new thing, which I think is hilarious that, like, a dragon comes up and they're like, yay, we won. And they're like, we don't have to worry about this ever again. Because right. <laughs> it was just a baby. <laughs> yeah. And Morgoth is pretty upset because Glaurung um, left too quickly. He revealed himself too soon. So they kind of already know about this creature that has been created. I guess, and yeah, like another, you know, two, they're still in the siege of Angband. Um, and during this time, all Beleriand prospered and grew rich. The Noldor and the Sindar, even though we have all this kind of interesting, you know, dynamics between Thingol and welcoming only certain mm-hmm. uh, people of the Noldor into, you know, his his kingdom, um, they still become, you know, one essentially, um, even though the Noldor... Always, we have to be reminded, have the greatest power of mind and body and were mighty warriors and sages. But the Sindar sing pretty, (laughs) is what it says. They had the fairer voices and were more skilled in music, save only Maglor, son of Feanor. Um, And they love the woods and riversides. And some of the gray elves still wandered far and wide without settled abode, and they sang as they went. So that's um, that's what happened when the Noldor came to Middle-earth. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, my gosh. So a lot happened in that chapter. Was there anything I missed or, or something that you wanted to point out? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, it is a... a- significant chapter that's that's interesting in that it's got both large scale stories about sort of battles and 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 mm-hmm. uh kingdoms being formed and you know new new realms being settled and everything at the same time as some really wonderful uh stories about individuals right that we we get the the wonderful uh Mithros um being captured and 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 rescued um is is probably one of the nice standalone stories in this chapter so it's it, it's interesting because it's got these really epic battles lasting hundreds of years but it's also got these these individual uh, little yeah it's like meanwhile turgon went off by himself and right. found a hidden hill <laughs> yes and we don't it's interesting because um you know we're told immediately that finrod's uh little hidden here he has the dream they both have dreams about hidden right hidden realms and we immediately find out that Finrod goes and, 
and found uh, Nagathrond as a result of that. And Nagathrond is mentioned in Lord of the Rings a couple of times. There's a couple of places where the fall of Nagathrond is mentioned. So spoiler alert. Um, but uh, we're not told much yet about Turgon and what he does with the city. He Yeah, it's just, just kind of like yeah. just beginning to set up something there. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So more more later on uh, on Turgon's yeah. city building. And I find it so interesting that like there are a lot of these little hints of um the Noldor like missing what they left behind and mm-hmm. you know Turgon wanting to establish he's like, Oh, Tyrion was actually pretty great. Oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, maybe um, can we do that again here? And so, yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because if you this happens again and again, um, the same is true in Lord of the Lord of the Rings. A lot of the the stuff gets built after the fashion of what people remember from uh, you know earlier time. You know, maybe they remember Numenor, and then but the the people in Numenor were building stuff based on what they remember from the first age, and it's and and the stuff in Beleriand is built with what they remember from Valinor. So there's a lot of this nostalgia <laughs> for the past. And that's why it's fun reading the Silmarillion because you actually get to hear about the original, right? We we know that there's that about Tyrion and the and the two trees and all this kind of stuff that uh echoes down through the ages. Yeah. Well, James, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Is there anything that you would like to share with the audience and where can people find you on the internet? Well, people can find me at digitaltalking.com, also digitaltalking on Twitter uh, and Instagram, actually. Yes, I don't do much Instagram. on Instagram, but yeah, I, I post interesting charts of uh, analyses of the, of the texts and so on there. I love charts. So. Um, oh, I do. I do charts. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about as a proud member of WBNE. If you want to learn more about the network, you can go to WBNE.org. The cover art is by Vaishon Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at Vaishon Designs. You can get merch for That's What I'm Talking About by going to tpublic.com slash user slash pod. You can follow the podcast on social media at Pod. You can follow me on Twitter and TikTok at MCWhatsApp and on Instagram at MCTurndownForWhat. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash TolkienAboutPod to explore the different tiers and perks that are available. You can join the shout out tier and become a sponsor of the podcast like John. John is our newest supporter of the podcast. Thank you so much. It really means a lot that this far into the podcast, people are still wanting to show their support. In some ways, I I feel like the podcast is kind of winding down just because, you know, we're in one of the last major works of Tolkien, even though we still have the show coming up and a video game that was just announced, by the way. There's a Gollum video game that is coming out, I believe, the day before the series is. So that's going to be a busy weekend. Anyway, thank you so much. Like, it, it really does genuinely mean a lot that people are still listening People are still hanging out with me and wanting to show support because I didn't think that would still be happening at this point, especially with the Silmarillion being what it is. So thank you, John. And thank you, everyone who is listening. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. This is an amazing chapter. So I'm I'm kind of thrilled that oh boy. Uh, I, got oh to, my gosh. I got to be part of this chapter. Yeah, I feel like we need to take, I don't know, I feel like we need to take like a moment of silence for Feanor and everything that happened. But <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was a hefty chapter. Thank you for sticking there with me to, to finish the discussion. My pleasure. Um, all that being said, do you have any parting words for the audience? If you're struggling with the Silmarillion, stick with it. Take your time. Don't hesitate to go back and reread stuff. Look at maps. Look at family trees. 
There's so much here. There's so much still, you know, in the tenth reading or hundredth reading, whatever, to, to to gain. So just, you know, don't <laughs> don't give up. This is a wonderful book that will keep uh, bearing fruit for those who uh, who read it. And that's what I'm talking about. <laughs>